God. Please be seated. As we come for um, prayer, I um, just want to pray for our brother Eric Betters. Some of you know Eric. Um, he was um, blown over by the wind um, outside Tesco's um, this week, and he was very bruised, seriously um, injured in the fall. And so he's um, taken care by he's been taken care of by his daughters up north. So we just want to pray, pray for our brother Eric. Let's come before God in in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you so much that you are indeed Lord. And we want to thank you that we have the privilege to worship you today. Gracious God, I pray now that you will just draw near. Draw near to our brother Eric Betters this morning. Lord, may he know your touch and your nearness upon him, Father. As he's being cared for by his daughters, we pray your blessing to be upon him. Father, we ask that again, Lord, again your word will speak to us this morning. Oh God, we do not look to man. As Grant says, Lord, we have the wonderful teacher, the most amazing teacher in the Holy Spirit. A wonderful counselor, one who teaches and directs us and causes us to see Christ in new light and in new ways. We pray that he might come again and teach us, oh God, that Lord God, man will be faded away into into the distance and in the forefront, Lord, Jesus Christ might be seen. Oh God, please come. Please, please come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've entitled this message this morning, um, A Glorious Thought, in Psalm 32. I want to say something this morning. I want to say this to this church this morning. I want to tell you that God loves you. I feel that I need to say that this morning, that God loves you. I feel that I need to say more from this platform. From this pulpit, I need to tell you, as a servant of Christ Jesus, I need to be very clear and let you know that God loves you. But I can hear someone say, well, that might be true, but you're talking about God, you know. God who has supremacy. God who is sovereign. God who hath all might, all power. God who is high and exalted and lifted up. That God. Yes, that God. The mighty one. The supreme one. That God. I can tell you confidently that he loves you. But someone again can argue and say, but preacher, you don't know me. You don't know the things that I've done this week. If you knew what I know, he might love these nice people that surround me in Golding's church, but I don't think God loves me. Someone else might turn around and say, well, preacher, you don't know my background. You don't know that my wife's been unfaithful to me. You don't know that my husband cheated on me. You don't know the stuff that I've gone through. You don't know these things. How can you say that God loves me? Somebody can argue and turn around and say, well, preacher, 
It's all well and good you telling me that God loves me, but things are happening in my life that I'm not happy about. And I want to tell you, I don't feel loved by God. Many people can say all these things, but I want to tell you what the Bible says. In fact, I want God to tell you what he thinks of you. Look at these verses in, in, in the word of God regarding the love of God. Look at this. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you. With an everlasting love. Worth remembering that verse. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Again, look at this one. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, look at this one. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Again in Isaiah, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. Here is a God, and I love declaring this message this morning, and he wants you to know this morning that he loves you, whatever condition you find your life in at the moment, however much pain and trouble you find your life in at the moment, how much struggle you are thinking about this morning, I want you to know that God wants you to know that he loves you. You know, it's great, it's great being married. You see, Kim is the only person that honestly tells me when I'm wrong. And um, I don't like it sometimes. But Kim is always honest with me and she will tell me, she's the only one who will, who will tell me that I am wrong. And do you know something? The reason why she will do that is because she loves me. And I will tell her when she's wrong. Unfortunately, she's not often wrong, but when she is, I will make sure I will tell her. Well, why? Because I love her. And because of our love for one another, she is the one who will correct me and tell me when I am wrong. You know, God loves you so much that God will tell you when you're wrong as well. God loves for you is such that he will tell you when you're wrong. And so that brings me to my psalm. So look at this psalm here. It says in, in verse 3 and 4, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sat as in the heat of summer. Listen, this man has sinned against God. And this man thought to himself, you know what, I can hide my sin. Don't need to tell anybody about it. Don't need to uh, mention it. I can, I can compartmentalize it in my mind and pretend it never took place. I can hide my sin, he said. But God was going to show this man that he loved him. And God was going to show this man that his man, he's concerned about him. And so God put his hand upon this man. 
The Bible said, your hand was heavy upon me. Well, why? Because there was sin in my life. And God's hand came upon him to remind him of that sin. You know, most people only want God's hand to be upon them when God's going to bless them. You know, oh God, put your hand upon me and lead me into some wonderful blessing. Oh God, put your hand upon me and give me something that I really need. We only want God's hand to be upon us when we think we want God to do us good. But I want to tell you this morning, God loves you so much that when you're going astray, his hand is going to be on you. And the reason why his hand is on you, the reason why, because he doesn't want you to go astray. He wants you to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. God's hand might be on you because of your sin, because of your filth, because of your wickedness. Why? Because he loves you. You need to get that into your heart this morning. God loves me so much, he's not going to allow me to live in my sin. He's not going to allow me to continue in a wrong way. He loves me so much, he's going to constantly have his hand upon me. Look at Samson. In the Old Testament, Samson, he spent time with this woman, this evil, wicked woman called Delilah. And she called in someone to cut his hair off. And, and his hair was, was cut off. And he rised up from his sleep and his slumber. And he said, I will fight and I will defend myself. But he didn't realize that God had left him. In other words, he didn't realize, even though he was strong physically, he didn't realize that God's hand was now upon him in a different way. And his eyes got gorged out. Here, hair was cut. He was thrown into prison. No friends, no family, no female company that he was chasing after for so long. No one around him. He was on his own and God's hand was upon him. Why? So that God can renew his strength again. That's why. And let me say that again. The reason why God's hand was on him was so that God can renew his strength again. And so Samson came out of that situation and he was able to do even greater things for God. Listen what the psalmist says. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. I'm not going to hide it anymore, oh God. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't matter anymore, oh God. Your hand is on me. But then I'm going to confess it to you, Lord. And you forgave me. That's it. That's what happened to Samson in that prison cell. God forgave him and cleansed him from his sin. That can happen to you when you confess. God will forgive you and cleanse. Why? Because he loves you. That's why. The love of God. But let me move on from, from man and um, speak to you again. Not only about the love of God. But the pleading of God. Let me take you to another section of this psalm. 
um, in Psalm 32, verse 9. Look what God is speaking now in this part of the psalm. And God says this. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. God is saying, do not be like a mule. Do not be like a horse. I mean, you might, some of you dog owners, you know that you've, you own a dog and, and you know you can call your dog to you anytime and, and a dog should come back. You know, and that's what dog owners have, that relationship with a dog. But a mule or a horse is not like that. You can't go around calling a mule. No, you've got to put a bit in its mouth. And then that horse or that mule will come to you. But listen to God. God is saying, listen, I love you so much. I'm concerned about you. I've loved you for everlasting love. I, I've demonstrated my love for you on the cross. You know, I've shown you the full extent of my love. But do not be like a mule. Do not be like a horse. That's what God is saying. Just look. Look at my love for you. Look, if you can't see it physically now, look at the cross and see my love displayed for you. Look and look again and you will see how much I love you. But do not be like the mule. Do not be like the horse. You know, the Apostle Paul picks this up in the New Testament. He turns around and and he says this in Romans. But because of your stubbornness, he said, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul turns around and says the same thing. He goes, because of your stubbornness, a mule is stubborn. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up something for yourself. I don't like that something that Paul is mentioning here in Romans. You are storing up something for yourself because you are stubborn, because you're unrepentant, because you're like a horse and a mule. You're storing up something for yourself. I don't like that something. But the Bible says that something is the wrath of God. That's what you're storing up for yourself. And God, in that first in, in, in that first in, in Psalms, God is practically pleading with the, with, the, with the people, do not be like that. It's as if God is begging, God is imploring, God is beseeching you and saying, listen, do not be like that. But God is not the one who begs. He doesn't have to. But the apostles take up God's plea. Look at the apostles over in, in 2 Corinthians. We are therefore God, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's the apostles as ambassadors of God. They're representing the King of Kings and they've come down as ambassadors of God and they say to the people, to the church, to Goldings, we implore you 
We beseech you. We beg you. Be reconciled. Do not be stubborn. Do not be unrepentant. Do not have a hard heart. We don't want the wrath of God to come upon you. And there's a begging going on in the word of God. The begging going on. A beseeching. A pleading. An imploring going on. Crying out to men and women to be reconciled to God. This is some serious stuff here because God himself is saying to the church, I love you. You don't understand it, but I'm telling you that I love you. I have a desire for you. I have a concern for you. My love for you overflows. The last thing I want, says God, is for my wrath to be upon you. That's the last thing I want. So I beseech you and I beg you and I plead with you. Be reconciled to God. But let me move on because to my third and final point in this message. The pleading of God And finally, the blessing of God. You see, God now speaks and, as I said about the the prayer, when the Lord speaks and says, Amen, then I acknowledge my sin to you. I do not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me. The very fact that God turns around and says um, through his um, his servant here, you know, when you confess, there's going to be forgiveness. But the next words, coming back to the beginning of the psalm, these words are so important that Paul takes these words out and repeats them in Romans. These are the words he takes out from this psalm and he repeats it in Romans chapter 2. Look at the words here, he says this. Blessed are those, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Blessed is the one, the man or the woman, the Bible says, blessed is the man or the woman. The man or the woman is approved of God. The man or the woman is happy in God. Why? Because the Bible says that God will never, never, never count their sin against them. That's amazing. God will never turn around and say to you, you remember your sin back there in the day? I'm going to count that one against you and I'm going to count that one against you and the other. No, the Bible does not say that. The Bible says God will never count your sin against you. No matter how much the devil will whisper in your ear and tell you what a wicked man, a wicked woman you've been. No matter how much he accuses you, the Bible says God will never count your sin against you. How is that possible? How on earth is that possible? God, how? 
Can you not count my sin? How is that possible? You know, a songwriter who um, wrote a song in 1873. His name was Horatio Spafford. This songwriter, you know, he um, lost five of his children. One of them, his four-year-old boy, had fever and died. Four of his girls perish on a ship voyage. And he lost four of his children, but he knew something about God. And he wrote a song. And um, it's in our song books, but the words of that song, the words are here. Look what he says. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. You know, he knew something about his sin. He knew that no matter how great his sin is, no matter how wicked he's been, no matter how ungodly he has done in the past, he knew that his sin was nailed somewhere. His sin was put on somebody else. He knew that the reason why God will never count his sin against him is because his sin was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he said, I bear my sin no more. My dear friends, I want to tell you this morning, let me ask you this morning, where is your sin nailed? Where is your sin? Are you still carrying it? Are you still got the shame and the guilt of it on you? Are you still someone who turn around and say, well, I won't come to the Lord, but I'll carry my own sin by myself. I can handle it. Is that you this morning? Well, I want to tell you that it's one who's already paid a price for your sin. And he's taken and nailed to the cross. You do not have to bear it any longer. And you ask me, why, Jerry? Why, pastor? Why, preacher? Why? Why is it so? And I go back to my opening statements. Because God loves you. There's no other reason. Nothing of yourself. Search the world over. You will never find a righteous man. A faithful man. The Bible says who can find. There's no one righteous. No not one. All have sinned and turned away from God. They together have become worthless. There's no one who seeks God. No not one. There's nothing in you at all. But he loves you anyway. And that's why. He's taken your sin. And he nailed it on the cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Oh, praise God that you and I 
are set free from sin. No longer slaves to sin. But we now can be servants and slaves of the almighty God. Amen. Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord. That it's nothing of ourselves. Nothing that what we could have done to make ourselves more attractive to you. In fact, Lord God, if we really was to understand ourselves, we will ask the question, why are you attracted to us? For there's nothing in us, oh God, that is beautiful. Nothing in us that is worthy or lovely or excellent. Oh God, Father, you know. But you are drawn to us because of your love. My prayer, oh God, that every man and woman and young person in this church will return that love. Take away the stubbornness, oh God. Take away the unrepentance of our hearts. Take away the coldness and the indifference, oh God. Take away, oh God Almighty, the 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 the, 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 the laziness, oh God. Take away the procrastination that we will do this another time. Take it away, oh God. May our hearts this morning cry out to you, calling for your mercy, calling for your grace. May your hand be on us, oh God, not just to bless us, but to turn us back into the right way, Lord, we pray. Oh, God, thank you for your love. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.